0: Good to be here, amen. Well, let's pray. Um, as we before we get into the word of God, it's an honor to be here, a privilege. Matt called me uh yesterday and was like, 911 emergency, uh, we don't have a, a speaker for Wednesday night. He got sick, and uh, I told him, I said, you know, it doesn't matter if I'm home, I'm always available, pr- pretty much always available. So but it's an honor to be here let's pray together uh, over these needs and we'll get into the word of God Father, we just thank you, Lord for this privilege of gathering together as a body in this house Lord from so many different walks of life, so many different people here but God we come together unified under one faith, one hope, one baptism, and that is Christ and we thank you, Lord for each and every life and Lord, there are men and women that we lift you up or that we lift up tonight um, out of this body Lord, we just ask you for um, uh, the Welch family, Lord, as Misty's in, in uh, labor, giving birth, I pray, God, you'd give her strength uh, as she goes through that process. I ask you, Lord, that you just give her strength in that moment and uh, just be with the baby, the health of that little child, God, that will come forth into new life. I ask you, Father, for the protection and the health and strength of both, Lord, as uh, as this happens. And, Lord, I just ask you for Kayla, uh, as she's out sick, touch her body and so many others, Lord, that are um, getting sick, different things going around uh, in our, uh, just, just around, things being passed around. And we just ask you, Father, that you'd be with every person, Lord, that's um, out of this body, Lord, that is sick. And God, we ask you for special favor and grace over the state of Texas. And Lord, that that's the shooting that happened um, recently, we just ask you in the name of Jesus God, that you would be with the parents that are trying to pick their pieces back up. How do you pick up the pieces? Father of a, um, a lost child at 14, I think, lost their life and then, and then some. And we just ask you, Lord, that you'd um, speak peace in a way that only you know how in a situation like that. I just ask you, Lord, that you would bring comfort and guidance and be with us tonight as we get into your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, how's everybody doing? Good. Amen. It's good to be here. I'm always excited. Uh, Matt called me and was like, "Look, I know you you do this a lot, but uh, do you would you have something?" And I said, "I will have something." I don't know if anybody likes fresh bread. Nobody. You like fresh bread? I, I don't think the kitchen has some good stuff. You know, uh, this is fresh bread. I just just wrote this um, just a few hours ago as the Lord laid this on my heart uh, for what to bring to you tonight. I want to talk to you out of Matthew chapter 24, verses 14, and we'll go quick because I'm known to be long-winded, and uh, Matt told me I had two and a half hours, so we'll try to, we'll try to get it in. I'm kidding. Um, Matthew 24, verses 14, it says, and this, and this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations. Everybody say witness. witness. And then the end shall come and we can get into that scripture for a long time just unpacking it understanding the nature of Matthew 24 but let's go to 1 John chapter 1 and uh, I, I just stumbled across this you know you read the word of god and i love the word because it's it's so it just it's just alive every time i pick up the book it's like Wait a minute, that wasn't there before, you know? And you, you begin to read in 1 John chapter 1, I've read this a thousand times, but the Lord just began to speak to me out of it. 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, that which was from the beginning, talking about Christ, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, everybody say heard. So we've heard of that which was from the beginning, Christ, with that which we have seen, everybody say seen. And that which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled, for the life was manifested, and we've seen it. He's talking about the Word of God. Before the foundations of the world was ever laid, Christ was, right? We understand that, that Christ was before the world was ever formed or fashioned, but the Word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. Christ came, and this is what John is talking to, to us about. We saw Him, He was manifested, He came and we've seen it, and we bear witness. Everybody say, bear witness. witness. We bear witness and show unto you that eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested unto us, that which we have seen and that which we have heard, we declare it unto you. We've seen what Christ has done. We've heard the works of Christ, and we are declaring it unto you, that, and there's a word in there, that word that is very important, that ye also may have fellowship with us. We are declaring what we have seen, we are declaring what we have heard, so that you also might become a Christian, so that you might also come into the fold of Christianity. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And I, I just you know sat this afternoon, really this morning and yesterday, I'm just kind of stewing in these three verses, and I could take a long time and just go through these three verses because it's so precious that what that which we have seen and that which we have heard, it is our responsibility to declare it. We as a body, as Grace Meadows, have a responsibility to this community. It is our responsibility to take what we have seen and that which we have heard and declare it to our community, not just our community, but also as far wide as we can. Uh, As um, uh, my brother said, you, you all support us in missions, and you've been tremendous support to us, and you've sent us all over the world, and it's just, I just... They like come home coming here, you know? And so I just appreciate it. We carry the gospel into all the world. I'm gonna give you a couple definitions. We're gonna get into one point. I've got three. We won't make it. One point, okay? <laughs> uh, the, the definition, Greek definition of the word witness, is to give evidence, to have evidence of something and then hand that evidence over to be testified or to testify about something. The Webster de- definition of, of uh, witness is an attestation of a fact or an event. You stand on trial. You are a, a um, uh, what do you call it, a, a witness. Yes, an eyewitness. Um, uh, I'm trying to remember the legal jargon, but I'm not a lawyer. Anyways, you, you, you are a witness in a case. You saw something, and you are a witness you're, you're sharing basically what you've seen. One who testifies in a cause or before a judicial tribunal, that's a witness, all right? And that's what we are called to be. As we read in the first, uh, Matthew 24, 14, we are to go into all the world, preach the gospel and be a witness, something, a person that has seen something, that has heard something. We are to carry that forth and then give it to somebody else. Has Jesus done anything for any, any of you? I believe it's Wednesday night crowd. We always call it Wednesday night rapture crowd. You know, this is rapture crowd. (laughs) Most people that come on Wednesday nights, we're going to get out of here one of these days. And and so we, we are here together. The Lord has done a tremendous amount for us. And you might think that your testimonies or things that God has done for you is insignificant, but it's not. Everything that he does for us, we are to bear witness. We are to carry that forward and share it with the world. And so I'm going to get into the first point of, and we will maybe another time, the rest of it. What is hindrances? The first point I'm going to get into is hindrances to witnessing. Why don't we witness? And I just want to kind of begin tonight with trying to paint in your mind a picture. Follow me. It was late one afternoon as a highly respected Ethiopian dignitary continued his journey across the desert. You got that in your mind? There's a highly dignified Ethiopian government official traveling across the desert, uh, continuing his journey across the desert sands of Gaza on his way home. He had come to the foreign country of Israel to seek truth and worship. Ethiopia was no stranger to deities. They had a lot of gods. They had a lot of things that they worshipped. But there was something unique about Israel's God. There's something unique about Yahweh. That piqued his interest. He didn't quite understand it. And so, he made a journey, something unique about Israel's God that made logical sense and coherence to life. Apart from everything else that Ethiopians worshipped, Israel's God was different. There's something unexplainable that drew him and captivated him, yet all was not clear. His time in Jerusalem was profitable, yet a mystery remained. The Bible says that the Ethiopian eunuch traveled from Ethiopia. He was the treasurer under, of the whole country of Ethiopia under the queen. Her name is Candace. And so he'd come. And this, my mind, goes everywhere. Why would this man come? Why would he travel so far? I've been very close to Ethiopia. I've actually landed in the capital city of Ethiopia. It's a long ways away from Israel. Why would he travel so far to come and see? And yet in his time in Jerusalem, it was profitable But yet there's still questions. Things still remained in his heart, his life. After all the worship, all the blood sacrifice, you've got to understand that Israel was still in this, you know, you you go get a sheep if you can afford one, or you go get an ox if you can afford one, and you bring it to the high priest, and you sacrifice, blood sacrifice. Even though Christ had already come and died on the cross, this is blood sacrifice still. And here he is in the midst of all this blood sacrifice and worship. Seeing all this fulfilled, the Ethiopian eunuch still something, something missing. All the homage was paid to Yahweh with sins forgiven for another year. Something was missing. His heart was troubled. After much travel through the desert by chariot, he commanded his horses to stop under a shaded cleft of a rock and drew from his bag a purchased copy of the scroll of Isaiah the prophet. You have to understand something. This Ethiopian eunuch was not a poor man. He's very wealthy. No, nope, not, not very many people had the scroll of Isaiah. I was thinking about this, this this morning as I was preparing for tonight. I was thinking about all the implications of how this man traveled from Ethiopia, got into Israel, got into Jerusalem, was so enamored with Yahweh, so enamored with the, with the message of the Old Testament and, and all the types and figures that he says. Maybe he was in the temple and he 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 o- overheard one of the priests reading from the scroll of Isaiah. And so I said, where where can I get a copy? And they looked at him and said, "Uh, (laughs) we got to hand copy these things, you know, transcribe them by hand. And uh, that's, that's very difficult to come by. He said, name your price. And so here he is. He ends up with a scroll of Isaiah, a copy of Isaiah. And it's in his bag. And he's so, his heart is so overwhelmed by everything that he saw, everything that he experienced. He stops the chariot on his way home. By the clefts of a rock, in some kind of shape, it's my mind, imagination. And he pulls out the scroll of Isaiah and begins to read. And this is all found in Acts chapter eight. He pulls out the scroll of Isaiah, begins to read. And as he read, he couldn't help but notice the heart of God for his people. As he read through the scroll of Isaiah, and Isaiah is incredible, an incredible book. You know, we look at the Bible and we're like, man, that's great. Put it on the shelf. I'll read it another time. We don't understand the, the beauty and the grandeur of, of the, the Scripture. Isaiah, did you know that Isaiah splits into two parts? The first half of Isaiah, ch- chapters 1 through 39, is the, they call it the deuterocanical, anyways, whatever. It's kind of like the Old Testament How many books are in the Old Testament? 39. Then you split it from chapter 40 all the way to 66, 27 books. And it's the gospel in the Old Testament. And it's amazing. And so here's here's the the eunuch sitting in his chariot. Mind you, Israel was not allowed to have chariots. They were ruled by Rome. They were not allowed to have any weapons or anything like that at all. So here's this rich, wealthy Ethiopian sitting in his chariot underneath some shade, reading the scroll of Isaiah. And he was reading it out loud. He was not in his mind. he was literally reading it out loud. Here's my mind. My mind goes here. He 's Ethiopian. I've been there. They don't speak Hebrew. This man ha- must have been so educated to understand the Hebrew language. And so here he is reading it in Hebrew, Ethiopian reading it in Hebrew. You got the picture, he's reading it in Hebrew, but his heart was troubled. He, as he read, he couldn't help but notice the heart of God for his people. Reading through the latter part of that scroll, his mind became fixated on a prophetic figure upon whom all the, the sins of the world were to be laid. He comes to Isaiah 53, really the pivotal verse of the whole Bible, Isaiah, or pivotal chapter, but there's another verse in there, of the whole Word of God. Isaiah chapter 53, and he's reading it over and over and over, out loud, trying to get, make some sense of all of this. And this is what Acts chapter 8, verses 7 and 8 says of Isaiah 53, 7 and 8. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb dumb before his shearers, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. And who shall declare his generation? For his life was taken away from the earth. And he went through this suffering servant, this picture of Christ, who, who the Bible says all the sins of the world were laid upon him. For our sin, all transgression was laid upon him. By his stripes we are made whole. An ultimate sacrifice. A once and done. This is what's going through his mind. No more bleeding sheep. No more ox. No more goats. No more blood. A one, once and for all sacrifice for all, all man's sin. But he was confused. How could this be? Was this f- fulfilled in a previous time frame? Had this already happened? You know, Prophet Isaiah is, I don't know how many years between Isaiah and Christ, but maybe 1,600 years? Had this already happened in the past? Or was the prophet talking about himself? Was it figurative? What was going on? I'm going somewhere tonight. What was happening? Ultimate sacrifice, but he was confused. How could this be? Was this fulfilled in a previous lifetime? Was the man in question Isaiah himself? And as he read, he read out loud. And he repeated those words, wishing, desiring for some point of clarification, for somebody to come and explain it to him. Answer the questions of his heart. And you know, what might seem as one insignificant life to most who passed by. Most pastors by probably were like, well, that's some strange dude, you know, sitting in a chariot reading. You know, obviously some Old Testament scroll out loud to himself. And most people would just pass by this Ethiopian eunuch. But hear me very closely. What might seem as one insignificant life to most who passed by him was God's entrance to a whole nation of people who had never heard of him. Here was this Ethiopian eunuch. And what took place inside of this Ethiopian eunuch's heart was going to translate life in the nation of Ethiopia as the gospel was going to be revealed to this this one individual on the side of the the dirt path, was going to translate into converts in Ethiopia. And so what looks as just, you know, some one random person was God's key into the nation of Ethiopia. Follow me. The eternal ramifications of a whole nation rested upon the leadership of the Spirit of God and whom... God wanted to use as a witness. My mind is gone. What would have happened, and I'm going to put this in context. I hope I'm not boring you. What would have happened if Philip, you know what was going on in Philip's life? We know the story, right? I'm sure you read it. But do you know what was going on in Philip's life? The Bible says that Philip, you read the first part of Acts chapter 8, and Philip was Man, he was blowing and going. You know what I'm saying? As we, we evangelists say, we we say we blow in, we blow up, and we blow out. <laughs> and he was just cranking it in Samaria. The Bible says in Acts chapter 8 that he came into Samaria, began to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, and, and signs followed. People were getting born again, they're being baptized, the demon possessed were getting demons cast out of them, the lame were walking. The Bible says that Samaria was full of joy. I'm talking about, it was revival. You know, we, we have that where it was revival in our, our mind, mind frame. But in the middle of all of that clamor and joy and everybody's talking about Philip, God said, leave all of this, Philip. Leave it and go out into the desert. And how many of us would have left? I'm talking about, you know, Churches jamming, Katie barred the door. I mean, it's just popping, music is going, people getting saved. people Listen, I've seen the demon possessed delivered over and over again. I've seen healings and miracles and signs and wonders. And most people would never leave that environment. We just kind of want to camp out and, and like, like, like Peter on the Mount of Transfiguration, say, why don't we just make some tabernacles here? Why don't we just camp out here? But God spoke to Philip and said, you got to leave here. And you've got to go into the middle of nowhere. Did he ask questions? Maybe. Was he Lord? Why? Why? Wait a minute. I'm, I'm, I've got a lot of stuff going on here. They want me to preach over there and over here and over here and over there. Why am I going to the desert? Can you give me some insight? And he never does. Just follow me is what he said. Just follow me. I've got something for you to do. And, and one of the points that I want to drive home here is, is we've got to be sensitive to the Spirit of God. As the Lord leads us in life, as in this Christian walk, there are people in this community that are waiting on your witness. They're waiting on you to open your mouth, wherever you are, maybe your workplace, I don't know, but they're waiting on you to just say, hey, come here for a minute. I I want to just ask you a question, and I'm going to get into some hindrances of, of this, but I need you to think about that. Philip left everything to go and witness. He didn't even know where he was going. I mean, think think about it. Would you have gone? It's like, okay, Lord, desert. Cool, let's let's go. And he got out in the middle of the desert. And the Bible says that he, as he saw this chariot with this eunuch, this Ethiopian eunuch sitting in the chariot, reading the scroll of Isaiah, God said to, to, to Philip, didn't give any prior instruction. God said to Philip, go join yourself unto him. Okay, what if he hits me with a club? You know, <laughs> what, 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 what if, what's going to happen? And a lot of times we get so hung up in our what ifs. What if, well, I don't know, they're going to think I'm a weirdo. You know, they're going to think I'm some religious, overzealous. And we allow our what, the what ifs of what we are afraid of to hinder us from sharing the gospel. So, Philip, here, here's Philip. Philip's obedience potentially would change the course of a whole nation if he would do what God commanded him to do. It's not recorded in Scripture, but it is believed amongst early church fathers that Matthew died in Ethiopia. He was martyred, but he did not die before he was able to preach the gospel to the king. And church history says he raised the king's daughter from the dead. It's not in the Word of God, but early church fathers say that. How did Matthew get an entrance into Ethiopia? I believe maybe it was the obedience of Philip, that Philip was kind of the one that went and then that Ethiopian eunuch heard the gospel, and we know the story, right? We know how, how he, he begins to read the scroll of Isaiah, chapter 53, and he said, do you know, Philip goes up to him and says, do you know who you're, who you're reading? He said, how can I know except somebody explain to me? I just need somebody to explain this to me. And he said, okay, let's go. You ready? Let me tell you about Jesus. Because what you, we are reading in Isaiah 53 just happened a few, not moments ago, but Maybe a year ago, we don't know the time frame. It just happened. Let me tell you about this man that came, was born of a virgin. He went through the whole gospel narrative. And and, and the ride in the chariot, you know, first probably Philip's first chariot ride. You know, he's sitting in that chariot, talking to this Ethiopian eunuch about Christ. And the Ethiopian's like, My God, this is what I've been missing. This this is what I have. I've been looking for. I I sought it in your temples. I sought it in Solomon's temple. I've sought it in all the blood sacrifice. But it wasn't, this, this is the fulfillment. And they're cruising along in that, that chariot. And the Ethiopian eunuch looks at Philip and says, hold on a minute. Wait a minute. There's water here. Can you baptize me? And Philip looked at him and said, if you truly believe in your heart that Christ lived, died, and rose again and died for your sin, sure, in the Ethiopian eunuch, the Bible says, commanded the chariot to stop. Stop the chariot and said, let's get in the pond. Baptize me. That would have never happened if Philip wasn't obedient to the Lord. And I can stand here tonight and tell you testimony after testimony after testimony. I'm going to share some. Of, of just being obedient, being obedient to the Spirit of God as He leads you. You don't understand where you're going. You, you don't understand, you know, uh, just the leadership of the Spirit is blind. It's blind faith. And you, you get in at work, and you're like, the Lord's just prompting in your heart to speak to so-and-so, and it's been day after day after day. I just want you to say something. No, I can't. I just think I'm... And we let our, we let our, our, our fears hinder us from what God wants to do. Let me just share this with you. What are some hindrances that keep us from witnessing? Number one, point one, A, okay, ready? Is the mindset of corporate success in the local church. The mindset of corporate success in the local church, unless it's big, bold, and and glamorous, we don't think God's a part of it. It's got to be gigantic, it's got to be humongous, and I'm an evangelist, and I do crusades overseas, well, before COVID, pray, just pray for me that we are able to get back into nations. But crusades, stage twice this high, humongous field, 10,000 people, unless it's like that. And most people have like this idea, unless it's something gigantic where that's just huge, then God has no part in it, or, or God's not really working in it. Unless it looks like success, we don't want to be a part of it. In Acts chapter 8, verses 5 through 8, the account of Philip's success in evangelism is given. As I already said, Samaria he's preaching Christ. Everyone listened. Miracles were present. Demons were cast out. Healings of lame, crippled people, great joy in Samaria. This is success. This is what it looks like. This is what it's supposed to look like. But I can tell you, the world has been flipped upside down by individual testimony, one-on-one witnessing. One-on-one gathering together with people in houses, not so great and grand of of gatherings, but, but when you are one-on-one with people, they open up to you and they, they pour in, they'll pour out of their lives. Unless it looks, smells, and tastes like a full-on revival, we somehow have adopted the notion that everything else is secondary, but it's not. We can get so caught up in the production of a service that we miss the very reason for that service. It's so easy I've been in church my whole life. It's so easy for us to get so wrapped up in the perfection of the production that we forget the whole reason why we gather as a body. So that we might share the light or bear, be, be witnesses of that light, right? That we might carry forth the gospel uh, to somebody else. There might be somebody in this audience tonight or this congregation that's that's hurting. That's why we've gathered. It's not for pretty lights and beautiful buildings. I've seen the Lord move in such incredible ways, in grass huts, and buildings that are half blown apart, as the glory of God would come and just touch people. And so we, we've got to be careful. God is not interested in our mechanics of, of multiplication. What, it, what He desires is fruit, not formalities. Mechanics can, be, can multiply dead things, but fruit actually lives and, and reproduces of itself. What am I talking about? You know, we... I, <laughs> Forgive me, but I'm, I'm, a, I'm a, pr- a preacher, <laughs> and I'm in the ministry full-time, and I see a lot of just mechanics of religion. And, and we put people through the kind of the, the role, like, like almost like Ford put through, you know, Model T's, you know what I'm saying, just on the assembly line. We can, we can make stuff happen. We can mechanicize, if that's a word. We can, we can mechanize, that's better. We can make it so formal that, that there's no life in it. And God said, I'm not interested in mechanics or multiplication. I'm interested in fruit. Fruit, that's what I'm interested in. It's not just that you can get a house full of people. The circus can do the same. It's that we reproduce fr- real living fruit. The things that we can make with our hands is dead, <laughs> right? But fruit, God is the only thing that can make something live. I don't know if any of you have ever tried to create life before, and I'm not talking about your kids. Obviously, that's a natural part, with your hands to create. And so God's after fruit. I'm moving quickly. He's after fruit. It's what He wants out of you and I. He's looking for life itself. What we would see as a hindrance, Philip leaving the revival to wander in the desert, was God preparing a harvest that Philip knew nothing about. He had no idea what was getting ready to come. Let me tell you testimony. Me and my wife, my, my two boys at the time, Bentley was four, just turned turned four. And and Grant was eight months old. Uh, We journeyed to the nation of Kenya, where we have a lot of work going on. And we left in February of 2015. And Grant was eight months, March of 2015. We left and uh, got an apartment in Nairobi and um, planned crusades across Kenya and some into Tanzania. We're going to be there for three months, and I'll never forget this as long as I live. I'll never, ever forget it. We rented this apartment near the Yaya Center. It was a nicer part of town. I'd never brought my family to Kenya before, and so I rented a nicer apartment in a safer neighborhood. And uh, the first day, I'll never forget it. We, we get there, we get unloaded, and we get our luggage up to the apartment, and um Uh, we we noticed these little children running everywhere, all over the place, and uh, my boys were excited. Well, Grant wasn't. He was eight months old, but Bentley was pretty excited that he had some kids to play with. These boys were running all over the place, boys and girls, and, you know, we're getting situated and settled in this apartment, and, you know, a couple days goes by, and, and, you know, I, I noticed they're Muslim children, you know, these children are Muslim, and the girls are wearing their coverings, and, and, you know, they're just running all over the place—just kids, incredible kids. And I, I remember the first day we let the we let Bentley go down and play with them, and we went down just to make sure everything was good. And well, long story short, over the period of three months, most of those kids there's, there's seven of them, uh, but five of them were from one family. But well, one family was had seven children. The older the older two didn't really run around. You know what I mean? They're like 17 and 15. But the rest of them. Um, were in my apartment more than they were in theirs. These five children, I'll never forget them. Um, let me see if I can recall their names. Shafak and Sharuk were twins. Giddu, um, I haven't said these names in a while. Giddu was, was like seven. Um, Rahama, Rowan, Ahmed, and I'm missing one girl. But these children were in my apartment 24/7. as soon as we woke up if we were there no, they wouldn't even knock on the door they just open the door and come on in. And we found out that they were a Sudanese family, um, Muslim devout Muslim family and they're from the, the nation of Sudan and everybody in the apartments hated them. They hated these kids because they're just up and down there was no elevators and it was all concrete and it echoed, echoed, echoed all the way through all, like every you know so all the tenants didn't really like these kids. But we just took the opportunity to love on them. We just brought them into our house. They asked me what we, what we did, questions about our faith. And we just shared that with them, never to violate, you know, their, I had to build trust with their parents. And I'd never met the father. The father would leave early in the morning, and he'd be gone. He'd come back. I saw him maybe one time. And uh, his name was Mr. Zaki. And the, the mother I saw a few times, her name was, was Fatima and so, you know, we, we didn't have much relationship with the parents, but these children were in my apartment all the time. And I knew that they were Muslim. The father would come home. He'd walk up the stairs, and about 7.30 every single evening, he would call out to his children in, in uh, Islam, in, in, yes, in Arabic. He would call out, children, come upstairs. And they would all stop what they are doing immediately and say, we'll be right back. And I looked at them the first time and said, where are you going? They said, it's time to pray. And oh, it smote my heart and they ran upstairs, and they laid on the floor and prayed to a God that doesn't exist. And I wept, and my heart smote me because I didn't do that with my children. And so, from that moment on, we began to at least do what the Muslims do. And so, they would come back down, 8 o'clock, 30 minutes, they would lay on the floor on their carpets and pray, and the the Father would pray with them. They'd come back down, and they had till about nine thirty. Long story short, we were getting ready to go back home to the United States, and um, these kids were dear to us. You know, we—they're like my kids. You know, Sudanese family, beautiful family, and we were getting ready to leave. Um, we were leaving on a on a Thursday the mother and father were leaving on Tuesday to go to Mecca to go to pilgrimage because every good Muslim goes on pilgrimage to Mecca at least once in their life. And so they're leaving and they're taking the younger kids with them. And so we were going to, not going to see them after Tuesday. And so M- Jess and I and, and Bentley, Grant at this point was 11 months old. We said, you know what? We got all kinds of toys that was sent that we brought and and the kids had specific things that they enjoyed to play in our house. They didn't have any toys at all, like nothing. And so you know, we, we just, we made certain bags of the toys that we had. I, I'm saying all this for a reason. They came down, we, we asked them to come down on, Tuesday, on Monday night, and we asked all the kids to come down because we wanted to give them something. And we each handed, we handed them each a bag of the things that they enjoyed to play with. This whole time, witnessing, sharing about the Lord. And they all, they, they couldn't believe it. It was like Christmas morning. You know, they don't celebrate Christmas, but it was like that. And they took their bags and ran as fast as they could up them stairs. And we didn't see them. We're like, well, okay. You know. The next morning, the three children, three younger children came down. And Fatima came down, the mother, and then Mr. Zaki came down behind them with their luggage. First time, really, me having a conversation with the father, a couple times with the mother. She didn't speak English, but she was weeping. Tears coming out of her eyes. And she hugged my wife, she hugged Jess, just embraced her. This is a Muslim family. They know we're Christians. They know I'm a preacher of the gospel. I had one of their imams, one of their uh, Muslim priests come to my apartment, sit down with me and discuss theology. And and here Fatima's hugging my wife with tears running down her face. Can't speak any English, but tears cross all language. And Mr. Zaki looked at me and he said, I have never in all of my years met a people that have treated my children like their own, with such love and care. Never. He said, I am the ambassador from South Sudan. Anytime you want to come to South Sudan, you call me and I will pay your passage. You never know who you're witnessing to. You never know the nature of what God is doing in somebody's life as you just demonstrate and live Christ before them. You don't know. And I've never seen those children again. One time, we FaceTime them when we first come home. I've never seen them again. And I might never see them, but I pray that the witness that we were every single day to those children and to the mother and father, through the children, that one day I might see them in heaven. So many hindrances that we Man, I could go on and on. I told you we wouldn't even get point 0.1 part of A of point 0.1. Let me share. You, I don't, I'm not even going to get into this. Um, let me share with you another testimony. I was, I was 19 years old, and uh, I, I moved to the island of Papua New Guinea, South Pacific, north Australia, by myself. God called me to go, and I just, in reckless abandonment, I said, bye-bye, and I got on the airplane booked a one-way ticket to this little island. Not so little, it's pretty big, six million people. Flew into the city of Port Moresby and then up to Mount Hagen where I was to to stay. Prior arrangements, the pastor came with me. After two weeks, he left me there alone. I thought he was going to be with me, you know, but he wasn't. (laughs) Stayed there alone, 19 years old. And um, after about a year of living in the jungle, I got an invitation to go to the province of Chimbu. And Chimbu is way, way deep in, in, the, in the mountains. The road systems in New Guinea are nothing like our roads. And I got an invitation to go preach this youth. This, it was in the high school, that's what I heard, and that they were going to meet in high school, and I would get to preach every single night to these young people. And I was maybe 20 at this point. And I accepted, I didn't really know what was going to happen, but by faith, just blind faith, I could, I could, we could be here till midnight, I could tell you a lot of stories. And I got to, got to this area and um, there was no, it was, there was no hotels or anything like that. It was just in the middle of nowhere. I was going to be sleeping in the local church just at the bottom of the hill. The bathing facilities was the river. That was uh, the, the ice-cold water flowing out of, the, out of the mountains, and that's where we had to bathe. And, and I remember the first night getting into the high school, and I preached, and I was just, I was new at this, you know, I didn't really have much of a gift. <laughs> Poor people that had to hear me, you know. <laughs> but anyways, I preached, and the Lord began to do a great work in all of my inadequacy of, in, and my inability, the Lord began to work. And the principal hated it, like the school was full. And the principal hated it. He said, no, I finished preaching. And he said, no, we're, we're after tonight, we're done. You know, it was supposed to be a three-night thing. And so we just left. They kind of like removed us from the school. And uh, I mean, I, we didn't do anything but just share the gospel and young people getting saved and we left. We actually went back up to the school the next night to see if it was open, and it was wasn't open. And so Word came to us and said, "We're just going to meet at the local church." And because of the situation, I was twenty, and because of the situation, the rejection of the school leaders not wanting us to preach, um, Word traveled fast, and I got in that little church. It wasn't very it wasn't little, but I got in that church, and. Just, we we began to pray, we began to, you know, wait on on the Lord, and so many people came that they filled the church full to capacity, and they surrounded the church like 15 people deep all the way around the building. And here I was, inadequate, not really knowing what I'm doing, just knowing that God had sent me in the middle of nowhere to, to be a witness. And I stood and I delivered a word. and I'll never forget. I preached at Daniel chapter 9. And I just went through the, just that chapter anyways. I preached on being marked by the Lord. Are you marked by the Lord? It was simple. And out of that one moment of obedience to witness, 300 people gave their life to the Lord. That one moment of just saying, Lord, I'm willing to be a fool for you. I'm willing to lay everything on the line and come what may, what can happen? <laughs> Maybe the Lord will work on our behalf. And so tonight, would you stand with me, musicians, if you'd return? I'm just going to challenge you. I didn't even... I, I, didn't even really look at most of my notes. I'm going to challenge you to get outside of what is normal. We have this fear of what if if I speak my faith, if I share my faith then, and this fear grips our heart and we 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 just freeze. But let me just put this in your mind. What if you're obedient and God shows up? Because all the other what-ifs, you know, oh, they're going to think this, they're going to think that, they're going to reject you. They're going to, and that's, the, that's our biggest fear is rejection, right? People reject us and what we believe in. But the truth be told, there are millions of Ethiopian eunuchs waiting for you to come up and say, hey, do you understand? Can I ask, or can I answer a question? There are people in our community that are broken. And and one of the the things, the hindrances I was gonna talk about was, you know, we have so many prejudices that stop us. We have, you know, racial prejudices. I can't talk to them, I don't understand their culture. We have, you know, ethnicities and differences of life. Maybe poverty and wealth separates. Well, I don't, don't want to you know, embarrass them. Just go talk to them. Just go. Be obedient if the Lord's asking you to go. As the music, if you, you can begin to play something. I just want to share this with you. Two minutes. I was in Arizona preaching in February and um, a man came in the church, broken, he'd been there for a few months, and he he came up to us, illegal immigrant from Mexico, lives, They was in Tucson, right on the border, and uh, he's broken, broken, barely spoke any English, and he said, uh, pray for my family, my family is is broken, my wife wants to leave me, and my children are in in a mess, And, and so his son had come to the church, not saved, and um, was a barber. And so he he came up to us and said, do you guys need your hair cut? I was like, yeah, cut my hair, be great, you know. And so he said, well, come to my house, come to our house. And I went with the pastor to the house and I really honestly thought that I was in a third world country. I've never seen anything like it in my life. Poverty, I I can't even begin to describe it. And um, the husband was there? He's broken. His wife was in, inside. Um, she had been really, and I'm talking about brokenness. She had, you know, been dabbling in lesbianism and that kind of thing. Like she had really defiled the marriage, and 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 then he would go and just the children in the midst of this adult children now 18, 19, 21, and they all were hardened by this, by their parents. He was living in a in a rundown motorhome in the front of the property, she was living in the house. We walk in to get her hair cut, and uh, we get inside, and my crusade director, Ben, got his hair cut, and I just began to talk to the, to the young people, and um, you know, the one of them left, long story short, we begin to probe the family, and said, look, we're preaching here at the church Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Every single night, Sunday morning, Sunday night, me and Ben were tag team preaching. I said, why don't don't you come? And one of the young men said, yeah, that would be great. That'd be great. He said, I just wish that my mom would come. I wish my mom would come. And so he said, well, where's your mom? And he was like, she's around the corner in the kitchen. And we're like, well, let's talk to her. So we went over. Ben, my crusade director, bold as a lion, went over into that, he's Kenyan, you know, he just, nothing phases him, went over and sat down at the table where she was sitting and said, ma'am, do you know that Jesus loves you? And she just, I'm talking about cigarette darkness, just, ah, very dark. But we began to pour the gospel. It was amazing. I wish you all could have been there. It was incredible. We just began to share the gospel with her. I've heard it all, I've heard it, I've heard it, I've heard it, she said. And I said, no, you haven't. We began to talk to her and just said, look, just come. We were there for an hour witnessing to her. By the end of it, tears were running down her face because somebody cared enough to talk to her. And she was still hard, but tears running out of her eyeballs. Her kids, tears. The next night we looked for them, only one came, Sunday morning, The whole family came and the whole family gave their life to the Lord. The whole entire family. Amen. Just take a chance. Be like Philip. Just open your mouth. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you, Lord, for this privilege, God, that we've had to spend this time before your word. I thank you, Lord, for this church, this body of believers at Grace Meadows. I ask you, Lord, that you would help us in this Western culture that has a skewed view of Christianity. Help us, Lord, to penetrate the darkness and be true witnesses for you. I ask you, Lord, for every person under the sound of my voice, those watching my live stream, I ask you, Father, for every person, whether it be on their workplace, in the home, Wherever it is, I ask you, God, that you'd give them the boldness of Philip to stand up and step out and, and, and share their faith, ask questions. Do you, do you have life together? Is there anything I can pray with you about? Lord, I pray that you'd make this body a body of people that are so bold in, in, in the shopping marts, wherever they are. God, I ask you that you'd help us to be witnesses Lord, help us to not get hung up on on cultural things and fear, but Lord, may we walk forward in faith and see you do great and mighty things. I ask you, Lord, that you'd bless us as we get ready to depart from, from this church. I pray, Lord, you'd protect each and every family, every child, Lord, every young person, every elderly. I ask you, Father, you'd protect us all and bring us back safely here on Sunday morning. In Jesus' name. Amen.